Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. But before we get going, I want to give a shout-out to some people that helped the show incredibly this past month with a support of $50 or more. Uh, I want to shout-out to Gabriel Mickle, Steve Howard, Anthony Carlin, Bradley Martin, Stephen Marotta, and Bill Dragoo. Thank you all very much. We really appreciate that. Now, um, if you'd like to get a shout-out on here, um, anything uh, $50 or more gets you a shout-out on the show. And we also send out some cool Adventure Rider Radio stickers. Drop by our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com. Click on Support to find out more details. Now, here we go with ARR Raw for March 2020. Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular, esteemed Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Sam Manicom in the UK, who is up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Sam, good morning. Hey, top of the morning. How's it? Doing very well, but um, of course you've got a quite early for this one, so you know I have to give you a, a big round of applause because you got up at three. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, it's absolutely fine. I just, well, I mean, if I'd been a younger person, then I just wouldn't have gone to bed, would I? You'd be sitting talking to me, and I'd be sitting here, probably well stoked up on on whiskey by now. Uh, I am well stoked up on on mugs of tea. <laughs> Brian and Shirley, Brian uh, uh, Ricks and Shirley Hardy Ricks are from Australia. Brian and Shirley, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi, thrill seekers. It's a beautiful day down here in uh, Vic, uh, Victoria, Australia, and I've just been for a ride on uh, Big Bertha, the GTR. And uh, you know, when you go for a ride and you realise you might have taken the wrong bike, it probably means you've got too many bikes. Oh, but. Oh, did I say that? I think no, I did. Actually, Sorry, Cheryl. Actually recorded. No, no, no. Take that back. Take that back. <laughs> delete, delete. No, I, I went for a ride with a mate who took out his KLR 650, and I thought, oh, yeah, we'll find some different roads. And so I'm looking for some different little roads, and I find a nice little asphalt single-lane road which turns into dirt, which then takes us through a forest which goes for about 20 kilometres, and I'm on this big blunderbuster GTR 1000 Kawasaki, which is like a bulldozer ploughing through um, stones and sand and stuff like that. But surprisingly, it went pretty well. So we ended up with a coffee, and I got back in time with um, three minutes to spare. Wow. So uh, there you go, So beautiful day down here. Well, we're happy to have you in here. I'm going to bring in Grant Johnson. Grant Johnson is in British Columbia. Grant, good evening. Good evening. It is that. And uh, all good here. We're just enjoying the weather is trying to improve. And I'm also thinking of some spring skiing. And I bought myself a motorcycle. And what else? Whoa. Oh, you yourself a motorcycle. <laughs> Back, up. Back what is this? up. What have you got? What have you bought? A 2002 Suzuki DRZ400E. Oh, good. Wow. Perfect. Good yep. Jeez. Yeah, and it's all tricked out. It's See, in British Columbia, bikes like that normally aren't le- legal, but it was legalized in 2002, so it's still street legal. If you bought a new one today, you couldn't make it legal. So that's a very good thing. It's it's the proper dirt one, but it's street legal. It's good Trump, Baja why, equipment why, on it, all kinds of good stuff. Why could you make it legal? Um, if it's not licensed for road use when it's sold by the dealer, you can't stick lights and switches and stuff on it and make it legal. Really? As of a yeah, certain wow. date? Not allowed in Canada. As of, yeah, it was 10 years ago or something like that yeah. they did that. Yeah. Why did they do that? Because they're idiots. <laughs> well, they stop you from riding a dirt <laughs> bike on the street, I guess. Yeah, that what they don't want is to have some bike that's sort of half-assed legal. Um, and they just, they're not doing inspections anymore. There's no MOT. There's none of that. So all sorts of things could be running up in the streets, and they just don't want that. So, yes, they've made it very difficult for some of us. However, I'm looking forward to riding this thing. It's going to be a hoot. It's all tricked up and set up, and I've got a little bit of work to do on it, of course, but but it's nicely set up. That sounds like a lot of fun. That's the bike. Not not the E, but that's the one I would love to have, uh, the, the DRZ400. I think that'd be a great bike. 
It would cover off a lot. It's a good size engine. It's got lots of power and, and incredible off-road ability. Oh, yeah. 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 People have done some big trips on those too, haven't they? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they'll go all over the place. A friend of ours that uh, does our uh, off-road stuff in California event rode one to Panama from home. He's got a TRZ 400E. He rode it to Panama, rode around. His girlfriend flew down and they went touring two up on a TRZ 400 around Panama for about two or three weeks. Yeah, well, the, spec, the specs are exactly the same as a 650 Suzuki, except that it's a water-cooled model, which puts out more power. But yeah, the specs are basically identical. And uh, would Susan get on the back? Uh, probably not. She has seen okay. the seat and said, mm. <laughs> <All> <laughs> the right. seat's at one of these planks that's about four inches wide particularly at the back end, <laughs> so not very good. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. That, I can't see that being a happening thing. Yeah, there's a guy in Australia, the first thing he does, guys who buy the 650DR or the uh, 400, the first thing they do is get a new seat, and he remodels them to suit uh, Australian butts. Yeah. Yeah. And well, we won't say anything about what width they must be, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah. moving, moving yes. on. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I've well, got to use it. I'm going to be using it to set up the hum. I've got to put out the tags for the hum cascades, which is coming up in July. So that was the uh, <clears throat> reason for buying. As if you need reasoning, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that, that makes it a tax write-off, I guess, <laughs> and, and, and absolutely, an, and an official excuse for you to get it. Yep. Works for me. Do you mean? Do you mean? Hang on a second. Let me just recount. Do you, do you think I could buy myself a new motorcycle and write it off against tax? Well, definitely you could. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, how, if your tax how, system... have I, how have I got to this age and haven't I haven't realized that? That one you bought in the U.S. Worrying. It's it's on your tax. Put it on your tax. It's a it's a business expense. You sure. are using it to get to events to do your promotion. Yeah, but I mean, that wouldn't be fair, would it? Because I spend so much time on it, smiling. Well, you said fair and taxes. Uh, 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 think about that. <laughs> There's no such thing, fair and taxes. Did yeah. you notice how my voice changed so dramatically? That was my tongue getting firmly stuck in my cheek then. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. <laughs> well, and, yep. and for for those who have have missed the fact that we haven't brought in Graham Field, Graham is just brushing his teeth right now. We may as well kick things off and uh, and get into this, and we'll bring Graham in once we get going. Uh, we got a, a, a letter, uh, email, letter, or a message. I'm not sure how it came in from Sean Gibbons. And it, this question I, I really like because things are evolving now in, in the world of adventure motorcycling. And the terminology is, is getting used and overused and bastardized as we go along, I guess. So I, I thought this would maybe open up a conversation for us. But anyway, he asked, what's the difference between touring and adventure riding? So I, I think this is, is kind of neat. I mean, we could sit down and make definitions right now and put it out there, <laughs> at least what we all think it would be anyway, um, maybe for adventure motorcycling, adventure riding. I mean, Grant, you and I have, have talked, uh, I think, a little bit, or maybe we've talked while we've been on Raw about the difference between, I think you said at one time, I think what you said was uh, adventure riding and, and maybe you said motorcycle travel. I'm not sure which two definitions you had. Do you remember us talking about that? Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> I've talked about this many, many times with lots of people. Uh, to me, there's adventure riding and there's adventure travel. And I think there's a difference. I mean, some people say, I'm going on an adventure ride around the world. Well, okay, yeah, fine. Um, use whatever phrase you want and whatever floats your boat. I don't really care. But to me, adventure riding is I'm going out in the weekend with some friends and we're going to ride around the desert or the local mountains or whatever. Um, an adventure travel is when you go to another country and move outside your comfort zone and do something a little extra. Adventure riding could be a ride you've done every weekend for the last 20 years. It doesn't matter. It's still an adventure, but it's not the same as going to another country and meeting and, and interfacing with other cultures and dealing with people and dealing with borders. And that, that to me, is adventure travel. So there's quite a difference from my mind. It's interesting how different continents have taken on the the titles and changed them around and used them and so on. Because what Grant's just been talking about, I think of as being overlanding. But I know in North America, overlanding has never been a title that has really taken off. Uh, How about Australia? Is it it used down there? Um, Overlanding, no. Not so much, no. Adventure motorcycling is. uh, But, you know, what's an adventure? 
on a motorcycle versus touring. You know, it, isn't it in your mind, really? I don't know. Um, well, I mean, but you think touring brings up another phrase, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, every time you get on a bike, a, a newbie gets on a bike and goes out the front gate. It's an adventure for them. And um, when you go touring on a bike, yeah, sure, that's long distance and all sorts of different things. Um, adventure, motorcycling, boy, I just think that's, I don't know, off-roading or out of your comfort zone. So, is, that why, is that why the police were coming? <laughs> yeah, well, you heard that too, yeah. 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 <laughs> we've had to open the windows. We have visitors and so we're in a tucked up in another room and we've had to open the windows to let some air through. So you will hear the steam train and you will hear all sorts of things today. Okay. <laughs> Just with this adventure travel, adventure touring, I got into trouble once from someone who was here um, from Germany and they had borrowed some bikes and they were travelling down the West Coast. They were going to be here for about three weeks and I sent them an email and said, are you enjoying your trip? No, are you enjoying your holiday? And I got into trouble for saying it was their holiday when I'd said that we'd been away on a big trip. So... In other words, your trip is different than their holidays, what they were implying. Well, yeah. So the semantics of how you describe things, some people take it very seriously. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. A lot of people are very serious. (laughs) (laughs) What was that, Grant? Sorry. I was going to say, some people are very serious about their words. Adventure riding, adventure motorcycling, adventure touring, uh, adventure travel. Trip, it, holiday, is yeah. dual sport riding. I mean, I mean, all the names I used can to be, call it trail riding. The names can be used for everything. Dual sport. What happened to dual sport? Nobody even uses that word very much anymore. I mean, I, I see it the odd time, but you don't really see it. It's, it's adventure motorcycle, and they talk about touring and street bikes, but you don't hear dual sport very much. No, it's okay. more described the type of a type of bike as like my DRZ four hundred. A lot of people would consider that to be a dual sport bike, and I do too, mm-hmm. as opposed to an adventure bike. Unless I load it up with a full load of luggage and head for South America, then it's an adventure bike. So some bikes are very flexible. This is kind of like a boat, you know, when you 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 walk up with your rope, but once you step onto the boat, it becomes a line. Yes. Yeah, it depends on what you want to do with it and what you feel, and wh- I think it. Part of it is how you feel about yourself and what you are doing or want to do. And then your bike becomes suitable to fit that niche, if you will. A years ago, I looked in uh, the Oxford English Dictionary to see what their definition of um, adventure was. And just out of curiosity, I went online this time and had a little bit of a meander through the various different online dictionaries. But to my surprise, they all seem to pretty much define adventure as being an um, exciting, unusual experience where risk is involved and daring is required. I thought, that's actually kind of nice. It feels right to go with adventure, doesn't it? But how are we using it? Mm. Well, that's I like like the fact you need daring. Yeah, it's kind of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? I rather like it? it. Well, I, I love the word, but I mean, I've heard adventure shopping before, and uh, I mean, adventure is <laughs> <What? it's> used <laughs> a lot. Well, adventure yeah, shopping is going out to buy toilet paper in Australia at the moment. <laughs> I think that would be seen as adventure shopping. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Graham Field has just woken up in Bulgaria. Graham, good morning. <laughs> yeah, good morning, Jim. I go, I'm not ready. <laughs> I think that's obvious. Hey, that ready? I'll tell you what, it's lucky it's not video. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, I, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, it's, um, oh, I had all my notes and everything. I, I suppose you've already done what's the difference between touring and adventuring, have you? No, no. Exactly. Uh, are, are you kidding? We're, we're just getting going on it. Oh, timing okay, is good. I've got a right. long, cynical rant on that one. Okay, good. Well, well, wait a second here. <laughs> You mean to say that you have notes, so you have the definitive terms marked down? Is that what you're saying? You, you've got the thing solved? No, of course not. I've just got an opinionated rant. Oh, <laughs> well, they're always good, Go, too. Go, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm really honestly not ready, so you lot talk amongst yourselves, and I'll join in a, in a few seconds. Okay? I mean, I really just got on my phone, and it went bing. And it's like, Graham, where are you? I thought, well, in bed, obviously, because we've got 40 minutes to go. <laughs> 
Well, okay, you go get your uh, your pants on and stuff, and um, and then you come back. Yeah, well, I'm here, but I just honestly, you know, I just <laughs> just got out of bed, and all of a sudden, the world is there waiting for me to say something. So just hang on a minute. Things are <laughs> happening, and this is the way, you know, you got to be ready to just hit the floor running. You got to go. Well, I, I am. Okay. I just you start. <laughs> so um, we were when just talking. finished. We were talking about the difference between, well, the question really from Sean was between touring and adventure riding. And we sort of went off on the adventure motorcycling and adventure travel is what Grant brought up. I was going to say about the adventure travel, Grant, is that there's, there's no motorcycle moniker in there. Adventure travel, probably if you were to search for it or talk to many people, they, a lot of people would relate to that, even though they're not into motorcycling. Uh, I'm not sure how you sure. get the motorcycle part into there sort of to define it under our terms. We tend to call it adventure motorcycle travel, mm -hmm. but we also appeal to four-wheel drives and we have bicyclists coming to the website as well. So it doesn't matter. Just get out there and go and do something and have fun and do something that's unusual and special and stretch yourself a little bit. That's what matters. I mean, really, what it comes down to with all of this stuff is it's all marketing. And with marketing, marketing really has very little or nothing to do with reality. It's the way you sell things. And and when it comes to motorcycles, when they have a touring bike or an adventure bike or a dual sport bike, for that matter, it's marketing. You know, people have come up with these monikers. There is no set book that you can go to that opens up and tells you, well, it must meet these requirements to be called this certain thing. And it's like, all of our language, it evolves with use. And certainly with adventure motorcycling, the, the use of that term, since it was coined by Chris Scott, uh, what, many, many years ago, I don't even know how many years ago, was it 30 years ago or something like that? Um, it's changed, it's morphed as, as it's went along. I think the Germans got it right with the, the GS, the Gerlande Strasse. Which you know, stands for? Off, mm -hmm. Which stands for uh, on-road, off-road, right. adventure motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, but on-road, off-road could be dual sport here. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So it's all been changed as time's gone on, I suppose. Yeah. Well, they call yeah. it GS Adventure, don't they? So if you have a BMW, you've got the – you may have uh, the GS Adventure. So that's another thing where they charge you a lot more money and put some stickers on it or something. Maybe a bigger gas tank. Oh, gosh, Jimmy. <laughs> it's, it's time you went and had a look at some specs. BMW have got it absolutely right and uh, I can hear lots of people out there going no but I mean the, the Adventure's got a bigger tank on it's got um, beefed up suspension etc etc they do an awful lot of first gear yeah 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 I know I know so but you know that, that that's completely logic but you know I was talking to some friends the other day um, and they were saying yeah but we, we used to call it touring we mm -hmm. went out and we rode anywhere that our bikes would allow us to get to and we'd gone touring yeah, that's right. Yep. That's right. And today, for example, here I am taking a full-on touring road bike down dirt roads. And I'm thinking, you know, in the old days when we'd go to a rally, you'd be bush bashing these big bikes through all sorts of things, mud and all that sort of stuff. And no one cared. You just went and did it, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Does that, Brian, you, yep. you're taking that big bike down some dirt roads. Does that tell us that you are a very good rider or you don't have the sense to take the proper bike for the proper dirt for that terrain? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Can I just say Probably something here? <laughs> he did earlier admit to having too many bikes and he took the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, right. you are going to regret that for the rest I, of the No, oh, yeah. no, stupid, stupid me. The question really hasn't been answered. Touring and adventure riding. It's all right. No, the problem is, um, hang on, just pour the coffee, really. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, no, touring and adventure. Well, I, I think you've covered it. And unfortunately, I wasn't there at the beginning. And I don't want to really sort of say what somebody else always said. But I think like, like just a Jim saying, for me, it, it's about branding, really. Touring and eventually the, the only, you know, the, the real adventures were the people who did it, you know, like um, Fulcrum Scott, who did it, you know, in the 1920s. And he didn't call it adventuring because the term wasn't really there. It probably was touring. We, we did tour in the 70s and the 80s. And it was exactly the same. And, and really, just you, like what you said, Jim, Adventure, I mean, it's a bit of an oxymoron, really, because when you've got an adventure bike, an adventure sat-nav, an adventure coordinates, an adventure phone, an adventure spot tracker, where's the bloody adventure? It's already <laughs> been done. 
So I don't really, you know, you buy into branding, it's good marketing. And I, 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 I just caught Brian saying something in German, but uh, similarly, but more accurate, I think, a portrayal of what we do is overland travel. If you do it independently, then it's independent overland travel. If you do it with a tour, then maybe you're touring with overland travel. But adventure, you know, do you really actually want adventure? Adventure is what happens when it goes wrong. When, when people say to me, oh, where are you off to next? And I say, oh, well, I'm thinking of going so and say, oh, that sounds like an adventure. Well, I bloody hope not, because that means it's going to go wrong. I just want to get from A to B and see some nice scenery and meet some nice people. It's not really adventure, it's, it's just travelling over land. Well, I guess that's looking at the way that the, the word adventure is defined at this point in the dictionary. But the the term adventure motorcycling, I think, and this is my take on it, um, I think it's that scene more of the people who are doing, it doesn't have to be a short trip, but it's people who are looking to go off the beaten path. In other words, if you're adventure motorcycling, I picture it as the the difference being that you're not probably not so much out for the culture or for the countries, but you're out for uh, where you can get to, the, to get away from the beaten track, somewhere where it's difficult, challenging, something so you can, you know, when you're done, you feel good that you got you and machine through whatever it was. Oh, okay, yeah, you can use that definition. Yeah, all right. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> Many definitions that work here. <laughs> I just think of the, the Honda 90 step through and the Goldwing six-cylinder both went around the world. Are they adventure motorcycles? Well, I think it would not depend on how they run. Not if you listen to BMW, et cetera. They, they were really? probably yes, it's, it's, it's what It's what you do. If it's yeah. an adventure for you, it's an adventure. If you're just yeah. touring around, it's just a tour. Who cares, really? That's yeah, just more people call it touring or adventure motorcycling or adventure travel or whatever. Just get out and go. Absolutely. What matters is that we ride however we ride, that we go out and have fun, but also that we weave in the challenging ourselves and challenging our knowledge, because Mm -hmm. I think those two things come hand in hand. And in the UK, people, um, when they go riding off-road and on the dirt and so on, it's it's called trail riding. It's just something that seems to be here. I don't, is that used in North America? I'd never really hear it used in. It used to be. I don't know what it is anymore. Yeah, back to, back to was, what we used to call it was trail riding. You yeah, know, when I was a couple motocross of years or it's, or it's exactly. uh, scrambling or something completely different. Now we started with scrambling, and then it became motocross because it was cool. Joe over there came to Canada and did a demo and all that stuff, and all of a sudden it's motocross instead of scrambles. But what we did otherwise was all trail riding. Just went yeah. trail riding. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I took my R100s BMW trail riding, gravel roading, and did all kinds of stupid things with little tiny handlebars. And it was okay. I took my 750 Norton trail riding. Jumps and everything. Sensible? Maybe not, but hey, did the job. Yeah, I remember chasing uh, one of my mates on a a GS, uh, and I was on a K100 BMW. And I came home with the biggest smile on my face and two blown fork seals. <laughs> but I had, I had a ball. And that's an adventure. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Sideways on a K100 in the dirt. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I think it's important not to get too hung up on the semantics. Just do whatever you want to do. And if you want to call it X, Y, Z, you go right ahead. Yeah, I agree with that. It yeah. really doesn't matter, does it? What matters is we're out there and we are having fun on two wheels. Well, um, moving on to uh, an, another email that came in, Kevin Ferreter. Um, now, this is interesting. This gets into some more technical stuff. But um, what he says is he's, he's been re- researching a visit to Southern Africa, and his wife is interested in volunteering at an elephant orphanage. And he wants to ride around the, the, the region while she is doing this. So he says he started to look into visa and country requirements. And, and his example was he looked into Angola. Angola requires a copy of your airplane tickets and hotel reservations. And he says he assumes this isn't unusual. Um, And he's wondering how some people riding overland deals with that sort of situation where they're looking for things that you can't supply. He said maybe Angola is a bad example because uh, that you need to get that that visa 30 days in advance. 
but he, he's interested because what he's doing is he, he's not going to have an exit plane ticket. He's not going to have a hotel where he stays at because he wants to wild camp. And he's assuming some other countries may have these requirements on the visa. So he's saying, how does a rider who's traveling overland and may not have hotel reservations in advance because maybe they're wild camping or, or they're just winging it as everybody does, or a lot of people do. And also the fact that they're traveling overland, they don't have um, airline tickets. How do they apply to get a visa and, and how often is this an issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we've, we've we've had, yeah, we here. had an example of that when we were trying to get from um, Colombia to Panama and the bike was in the plane and we were trying to check in and they wouldn't let us check in because we didn't have an ongoing ticket outside mm-hmm. of uh, to leave Panama. And uh, they were treating us that way because apparently Australians treat Panamanians that way, that you can't come to Australia without an, um, an ongoing ticket. So we just had to go and buy um, a fully refundable ticket from Panama City to anywhere. Cheapest and we just place. wanted the cheapest place. Mm. And so we could actually get on the plane. I, I encountered the same sort of thing uh, when I was coming up from uh, Colombia into Panama. I ended up going to the um, Panamanian consul in Bogota and to make an appointment to see the consul and explaining the situation and he got in touch with various people in Panama and in the end I got a letter which I could give to the airline saying that um, it had all been agreed that I was going to be allowed in. Okay, yeah, well, we just we just got a refundable ticket and eventually got our money back. But there's not there's a lot of countries that uh, when you go in, they want a, a an address to where you're staying. Mm-hmm. We had that example going into India just a few months ago. Uh, we had that example going into Japan where they want an address. And uh, we've done it before. You just pick a, a B&B or something uh, and have that address ready. Mm-hmm. And when the question gets asked, that's what you put down. Yeah, I find uh, it better to actually pick a good hotel. If you pick a nice hotel, then you're a well-off tourist and you're more desirable instead of somebody staying at a cheapy place. And it's not like they're going to check the hotel to make sure you're going to be there. Looking like you do, mate, that's probably a very wise move. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think my hotel um, Mm. comments on, on these forms have ever been checked. And why would they? It's almost like a tick box exercise. But even going into the United States, you're asked, where are you going to stay? And it's a hotel or a friend. When you're coming in, um, you know, flying into the United States, then they're looking to see that you've got uh, a ticket out again. If you don't, then you've got some explaining to do. And there you've got to have your documentation. Coming in overland into the United States, that's easier. They don't necessarily expect you to have a ticket out. And what I found in quite a few countries around the world is that once you're there and they can, and you've got evidence that you've got your motorcycle, such as you're on it, or you've got all of the paperwork and you, you're in X country already, then applying for the visa for the next country is less of an issue because your motorcycle actually is the evidence. Yeah, uh, it's. Sure. In this case, with the Angola example, um, he's having to apply for this in advance. He's not going to be there with the motorcycle. So is it just a matter of, like you're saying, just just put something down in, in the blank space? I mean, basically what they've got is a question well, on the form that needs to be filled in. On booking.com, and it's very easy. The, the particularly more expensive hotels, you can book without paying with free cancellation. So you've got your booking right there. Yeah, and then awesome. you cancel, as long as you cancel it 24 hours before, um, that sure. bit's done. And, and again, like Shirley and, and Brian said, and this happened to me when I flew from the States to Brazil, they needed uh, an onward ticket uh, to let they, well, it was actually the policy of the airline because I was flying from the States and they, and Americans perhaps needed normal tickets, but uh, it was a Brit, I didn't. But um, it was a policy of the airline because if they got you to Brazil and then Brazil wouldn't let you in, then it was the airline's responsibility to fly you somewhere else. Um, so they insisted that I bought a return tickets. So I just bought the most expensive ticket that the airline had, which meant it was fully refundable. Um, and so it was just a matter of, like I say, ticking the boxes and then um, putting it on the credit card. And then once I went to Brazil, I went to the, because this was before internet and everything, I went to the uh, airline's office in Rio 
and said, I want a refund on this ticket. And they refunded it. And that was that. So it's just jumping through their their, their hoops. But it, it's, it is possible, usually. Nicely done, and what, Good and what, Kevin, what Kevin's saying is that um, they need uh, airline tickets. Well, one can only presume if they're touring Southern Africa, they will have a ticket from home country to somewhere in Africa and somewhere in Africa back to home country. Maybe that will do with the um, officials in Angola. That's Good quite possible, point. isn't yeah. it? And something else Kevin might be able to use is sometimes when you have a visa for the next country along the line, and sometimes it's really easy to get visas for some countries and not for others. So, for example, uh, when I was trying to get into Iran, I was lucky and I had the paperwork all signed up for going into Turkey. And because I had that, then it was easier to get the visa for Iran because yeah. they knew that I was moving on. Yeah. Um, also, neighbouring countries sometimes make it easier to get the visa for their neighbour than perhaps it is in the rest of the world. For example, um, everywhere else on the planet, you have to go to the Azerbaijani embassy to get an Azerbaijan visa. But in Georgia, next door, you can just go to the consulate, they do it. And they just make the process easier. So that might also be a Yeah, I would certainly not worry about it in advance. I mean, if he can jump the hoops and tick the boxes in advance, great. But I'd be willing to bet that in next door country like Namibia, he could probably get his visa there. Or very, very often, you could just drive up to the border and say, here I am. I need it. And they walk you through the process and they give you the visa on the spot. It's no big deal. So I don't know what the rules are for Angola. There's too many countries out there to know them all. But uh, a little bit of research should find that pretty easily. Yeah, I, I, I think one of his biggest problems, depending where and when he is going, is um, the current situation with this uh, virus that's going around the world at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a real problem. Um, I've just been conversing with Ken and Carol Duval. And, and we, as we know, Ken and Carol are coming down that west coast there. And they, they are in a bit of strife because they've got all their visas and everything else to get right through to South Africa. But all the borders are being shut because of the coronavirus. Um, so they are now looking at uh, having to amend all their plans and fly themselves and their bikes and their bike out of um, Africa to probably back to Europe because of the problems that they've got. If they get stuck in that country where there's minimal um, uh, medical facilities and services, that's problematical. So you've got to have contingency plans all the time. And I'd, I'd be careful at the moment, Kevin, and be really, really looking at um, the um, health issues uh, right now, particularly in Africa. Yeah, I think the next few months are going to tell a big story there. I want to jump back to the thing that Sam had said, use the example of going into the States. If you were, for instance, if you'd shipped your bike and you're, you're going to pick it up, whether it was by air or by freight, by sea, um, might you run into that same problem where you start where you're flying into a country to pick up your bike to start your trip and yeah. then yeah. not be able to have the right information for them? We had that problem. Yeah. We had the paperwork that proved our bike was on the plane that we were trying to get on. Mm. and that we would be riding out and we had our passports full of visas of where we'd come, where, where we'd we're come going, from, we're and going. we had our American visa for the other side of Central America. We had our US visa. But we had a little bureaucrat on the desk at the airline and they were not going to let us on the plane without an ongoing ticket. And when we got to Panama, they couldn't have given a toss. Yep. <laughs> they, they didn't ask about the ticket. They didn't look for a ticket. They just stamped it, you know, welcome to Panama, enjoy your holiday. Done. Yep. That's always the way it is. The official Something. rules are not the same as the actual rules on the ground. Mm. The only thing, Grant, though, just turning up at the border is if it is a country that is you must have your visa before you get to the border, that can end up with you being turned back. Yes, Absolutely, it can. So I say you need to do a little bit of research to find yeah. out. But, but it, I think where Kevin's going wrong is he's trying to, well, maybe going wrong, it's hard to say for sure, um, is he trying to set it all up in advance from another country entirely, another continent for that matter, and they aren't used to doing overland travelers. They just don't have that mindset. It's fly in, see something, or you're probably there on business for Angola, and then fly back out again. And that's all they understand. Anything else doesn't make any sense to them. 
So if he shows up at the border on a motorcycle, oh, okay, yeah, we've seen you guys before. And away you go. And if he has the name of a couple of hotels in the two or three towns beyond the border, he doesn't need uh, anything more than that probably. They'll just say, oh, well, he knows this hotel, that hotel, this town, that town. You may find people at the border who've never heard of the town beyond the one that they're in. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. Quite often it's a tick box exercise and all they want is to be able to fill in the right paperwork so that they can pass you through and get on to the next person. Yeah. yeah. Something that I found with a couple of uh, places was, and this is a bit old school, and I know that there were some visas that I had to get this. I wonder whether it's still the same now. Um, a letter of introduction from uh, the British Embassy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We needed one for Russia. And yeah. it was what we had to, we just paid someone to write us a letter of introduction. They didn't know us, that that's okay. We didn't know them, but they gave us a letter. And we also had to list all these hotels that we were going to be staying yes. at. We just listed hotels in cities we didn't know that we'd pass through, whether we'd stop if we did. And it wasn't, you know, they got all this paperwork, reams of it. Um, we paid a good 200 and something euro for this letter of introduction. Thanks very much, ka And there was our visa. Oh, we paid more for the visa on top of the letter of introduction. Yeah, I had, a, I had, a, I had to have a business visa for Russia because I was in exit entry more than twice. If you yeah, more than twice, you have to have was, a business visa. That, I that don't even know what my business was. I don't know if I was an international painter or what I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, we had the same, Graham. It's exactly so, what we got. So your business contacts, Graham, gave you that letter of introduction. So whatever the, business they were in was your business. Yeah, maybe I was in the <laughs> visa <No>. business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, no, they, no, no, no. I didn't have a clue. I mean, maybe if I was a painter, then I should have had a paintbrush in my panier. So here's a house in Vladivostok. I've just got to touch up the skirting. <laughs> <laughs> Gun running's big over there. <laughs> <laughs> they got. They ask. Yes, I, I always laugh them. out loud at the boulders when they when they stop and they say. Uh, guns, narcotics, because <laughs> it's so if preposterous. If you're going to say yes, yes, I Why would I be carrying guns? And I think perhaps, because I why would I be doing that? <laughs> oh, Graham, I got stopped going into Ecuador by some really snotty-nosed soldiers on a checkpoint, and they were absolutely convinced that I was carrying an AK-47 on the bike. And I was looking at that, and I was thinking, yeah, well, just where would I carry one, even if I wanted to? I mean, just look at the thing. <laughs> yeah, I had the mask point to uh, the side boxes on the bike once and say, you got guns in there? I said, oh, I, very seriously. I said, oh, yeah. And they all burst out laughing. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody looked. They never So you checked. got the guns in on that trip. That's true. Oh, yeah. That's really <laughs> Make good profit. Honesty pays every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> I think um, Brian hit the nail on the head to a certain extent earlier on where he was saying about um, when you're doing a border crossing, you're looking neat and tidy. And somebody else then, I think it was Grant, said, you know, just have have all of the paperwork in order. Everything that you, you know you're going to need for that, that border crossing, if you look as if you're efficient and you're organized and you're being respectful to that country that you're coming to, then a lot of things you just get away with. But the other key with all of this sort of stuff is if you're not asked the question, don't give an answer. Yeah. People Keep your mouth shut. Exactly. Never ever volunteer wow. information. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, I'll tell you a story here. Yes, all right. Guys. All right. Okay. <laughs> Here's a guy who's an American. He was working in Dubai, I think, and he had his Harley there. Or he bought a Harley there. I can't remember what. Anyway, he was flying back to the U.S. with his bike, arrives at the border, and he's going to stay for like a month, and then he's going to fly back with the bike. But he asks the border guy when he gets there, he's arriving in the U.S., he asks the border guy, what if I want to sell my bike? No. <laughs> yeah. We all know what that means, right? He never did get to ride his bike. <laughs> yeah, you just don't ask those kind of questions. If you don't have to know the answer, don't ask it. We arrived into America from uh, Mexico and we went through the Nuevo Laredo slash Laredo border. And when we went in to do our paperwork, the man looking after the bike said, yes, I will do the paperwork here for the bike, no problem. And when we came out, he said, is this bike registered in America or Mexico? And we said, Australia. He went, yeah, I can't find a place for that. Off you go. 
<laughs> I didn't even know about Australia. No, exactly. He probably yeah. thought Austria and didn't we speak English well? <laughs> and it's happened before. <laughs> Anything else with that one? No, I don't think so. I just think good luck and good on his wife for going to the elephant. Yeah, office. good luck. Yeah, just think exactly the same too. thing. Yeah, that would be so cool. I better not tell Susan about that. No. <laughs> Well, well you nice. could show her the new bike, then tell her, and she may not be that interested in the elephant orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> no, she'd be yelling at me. <laughs> exactly. Is it worth it, Grant? I don't know. <laughs> well, let's take a, a little break here before we continue on to the rest to talk about fresh tracks. So um, this episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. And Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s, a long time. And uh, what they do is they work with companies, um, groups, etc., to inspire, motivate, challenge, and build communication skills through team building exercises. And they, um, I, I guess they sort of do a lot of long-term work with companies now. They, they work with companies like Mars and Pfizer, Yahoo, Comic Relief. But for motorcyclists, if, you, if you're not in a company where you need uh, to work with your, your team and, uh, and building communications in your company, if you're a motorcyclist, they have an area. They're lo- located just outside London in the UK. They've got an area on their main campus. They've got quite a, a, a spot here where you can try out your gear. You can camp, explore, um, and there's, there's all kinds of green lanes uh, nearby, which is dirt riding nearby. All within, uh, well, I forget what it is, like an hour or something like that of London. And you can stay on their property. So you, you can camp there. I think they even have a little cabin you can stay in or they have a, a larger facility as well. But have a look at it. It's freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. So that forward slash adventure space will take you to the right spot. And of course, when you're talking with them, mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. So that's Fresh Tracks. Now, Jim, can I just jump in and say something yeah, about Fresh Tracks? I had the, the privilege of meeting Dan from Fresh Tracks at the London Motorcycle Show a couple of weeks back. And so there I am standing um, with all of my books in front of me, book signing, and this guy comes up and stands next door to me and uh, introduces himself as Dan from Fresh Tracks. So here I am talking to our sponsor. Fantastic. What a nice guy this guy is. But it, it, to give you an idea of the sort of guy he is, he's standing there talking to me and then he says, is there anything I can do to help you? And I said to him, well, I'm going to go off on stage in a minute. You wouldn't mind just standing and covering the books for me for a minute. And he didn't even blink. Yeah, okay. And when I came back, he'd made loads of sales for me. And just big smile on his face. And I was fantastic. What a cool guy this guy is. And what an opportunist you are to be able to spot the right person to come along to take over your booth and still make you some money while you go do something else. <laughs> it's it's well time. It's perfect. Yeah, uh, Dan is a, is a real enthusiast. He's, he's only recently got uh, back into riding and... Um, he discovered the show and he listened to a bunch of the episodes or all the episodes, I guess, and, and follows things along. But, um, and he, and he's got, actually, he's already onto uh, Brian. This will, 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 will ring a bell with you. He's already onto his second bike. And I think he's only been back riding for like a year or two. So he's starting his bike collection. Yeah, good man. Yeah. Good man. Good man. So very much into it. Yeah. Come out here and I'll show, I'll show him some good riding. And he must remember how many bikes does a man need? Just one more. one more. I'm glad you know that. Sure, that's, that's really handy to. Oh, I know. I know. That, that was rec- that was recorded, Shirley. Oh, yeah. Brian is going to thank be you. Thank out. you. Thank yes. you. <laughs> other uh, other listener question we got in Oscar Verkeman. And what he wrote was, uh, and, and I'm going to paraphrase uh, some of this. There, he says last year he wrote his his R1200 uh, GS. Adventure um, from the Netherlands to the border with China. Um, two months they spent on the road, um, Uzbekistan and, and, and a bunch of other places he went through. Uh, very remote areas, um, unpaved roads, uh, no people, uh, passes over 4,600 meters in height. The bike ran fine. He didn't even get a flat tire. He has no mechanical skills whatsoever. Um, as a matter of fact, he says he's never even taken off one of the wheels. He took a repair kit with him to pop in a plug in the tubeless tire should he get a flat. But as I said, he didn't need that. He's prepping for his next trip to go through China, the Himalayas, India, Pakistan, Iran, etc. 
And um, he realizes now that if he encounters a mechanical issue on the trip, it's sort of over for him. It's done at that point. So he's kind of wondering about the diagnostic uh, and repair end of things. And, and And he sees that the BMW is full of electronics and computers and stuff. And he's curious whether it be worthwhile taking along the Hexcode GS911, which, Grant, I know you know about, and you have one, I think, a diagnostic tool in case that he gets into trouble. His idea is thinking that he can plug this thing in, find out what part he needs, and have the part flowing in. And what I was thinking with this is it sort of, you know, it brings up a bigger question for us or a bigger concept for us to consider with this question is, the technology or sophistication of the bike that you're traveling on for the areas that you're going into and um, offset by with that is your your ability to repair things. How well can you or how well do you know your bike? How good are you with mechanical things and repairing things? And what's your chance of getting that bike fixed when you're off the beaten path somewhere? In other words, if you're riding a like a KLR650, DR650, DRZ400, uh, well, maybe not the DRZ400 for, for some reasons, but... You know, like the old style bikes, you can probably get that repaired by anyone who knows anything about engines and things like that. Whereas you get into the computer stuff, not so much. So what do you guys think? The GS911 um, adjusting the bike technology for the area and combined with your abilities. Let me make a comment on the GS911. I mean, my answer to him is immediately, yes, that's a no brainer. And I, I know we sort of talked about this before, about the Hex, uh, GS911, rather, but any code reader, for that matter, they're not necessarily going to solve your problem. Um, they will give you error codes, but it doesn't necessarily nail it down to exactly what it is, and that's something to be to be aware of. That's where you got to talk to your dealer, because the dealer will say, yeah, okay, we know. Yeah, we, we get that code when it's this. Yeah, exactly. Or it could be a fluke. I mean, it, it could be a bared wire. Uh, it could be so many different things that happen, but at least it, it's a shot. Now, that's for an experienced person. I guess the deal with this is it may at least if he had this this thing he could take it into somewhere that maybe someone who knows a little bit about it and get them to work on it that, that you know that that's a possibility yeah a lot of the times you can figure out exactly what component it is and if you're in doubt yeah but yeah. that's that's a, that's a good reason to have a, a friendly mechanic um on standby you know i've got a mate and i said to him well if i strike trouble you know can i rely on you yeah 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 just give me a call and i'll be able to ship in uh anything you want Apart from shipping into Russia, which you can't do, um, you really, um, everywhere else in the world, you can get stuff in, but even DHL, and stuff, they won't uh, ship into Russia. Um, so you've got to be aware of that. Uh, and I know the um, there's a bike company in Tajikistan that, um, Muzz 2, I think it is, yep. they rely on their clients coming in and they'll give them a list of, can you bring in this spare part? Can you bring in that spare part? And they've got a stock of spare parts for all sorts of different bikes. So, you know, you've got to be aware of that. But uh, the GS911, I agree with you, Grant, um, great for diagnostic. But if you've also got a friendly mechanic on side um, that you can just do a phone call or an email to, yeah, you can get parts brought in. Also, uh, Yamaha have realised that this is a bit of a problem for people who want to go to more extremes. Their new Yamaha 700, which apparently is a fantastic bike, is devoid of a lot of electronics. It's just got the bare minimum that they need to pass um, regulations like ABS and things like that, oh, which is right. a really good move. Wow! Yeah, the new se- yeah. the new seven new 700 Yamaha. Um, it's um, it, it's not quite as good as perhaps the 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 KTM rocket ship of the same. Um, cubic capacity or similar cubic capacity, but it's a ripper bike and very robust and strong, and a lot of people are moving towards them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've become very popular and good reviews. And I'm, I'm hopeful, very hopeful, that other manufacturers will take note that Yamaha is not putting all the fancy gadgetry on it, and yep. um, they will bring out uh, some competitors to it in the next few years. There is a market for that kind of bike. Not everybody wants all the fancy stuff, and it, it helps keep the price down, too, if you take all that stuff off. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think a lot of people with all of the fancy stuff on the bikes, it's all right when you're buying it because it's bragging rights. Did I just say that? Gosh, <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> I mean, half of the electronics on the new bikes, I would look at them and I would think, Jeepers, what does that do? Why do mm-hmm. I need it? I could just see you, Sam, pressing buttons and getting yourself into all sorts of trouble. 
Oh, you, you know when Bergie joined me in the states and and um, we hired that car. Did I tell you this story? No. Um, I I'd rented um, a, a Ford Focus, and when we got to the airport, all they had was a Mustang. We're really sorry. We're going to have to give you a Mustang. Convertible. Yeah, convertible. Soft top, the works. And Birgit's first comment when she came around the corner and saw this was, can you drive that? (laughs) (laughs) We sat for the first half hour in in the cockpit of this thing because it felt like a cockpit, looking at all of these knobs and buttons. And as we were driving along, Birgit said, whatever you do, just don't press anything that you haven't already pressed. <laughs> <laughs> she has little faith, Sam. Well, I think she was a bit worried that I might find the ejector seat button. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. So, to so, go back to the topic, um, sorry, Jim, go on. No, that's what I was going to say. It, go ahead. I, I I think one of the, the important things to do, whatever trip you're doing, and this is verging on what Brian and Grant have just been saying, is build a good relationship with your dealers, your dealership before you go out. So they know exactly what bike you've got. They've met you. You've had conversations. You've bought them a coffee. You've told them exactly where you're going. Um, they've seen the bike that you're going on. So they know what you've, you've equipped it with. And they've just made sure that you haven't put anything on your bike that's stupid, that's going to cause a problem down the line, all of those sorts of things, but also so that you've got really good contact details with them when you're on the road, because then if you do get in trouble, you can email, you can telephone, Skype, whatever, and be talking to somebody that you've already got that relationship with. And that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Another small example of that is when we um, we, um, broke our uh, rear shock in half um, up near Alaska. And you you know the story, you know, we're scooting along at 100 k's an hour and all of a sudden we're on the back wheel, which is a bit exciting. But uh, the guy who imports uh, the shock absorbers into Australia, I contacted him straight away. He knew exactly what I had and knew exactly what the problem was and got on um, to the manufacturer and, and had things moving for me pretty much straight away. So there's a good example of having a good relationship with uh, people. So you, you, if you've modified your bike, make sure people know what modifications mm-hmm. you've got on the bike. Yeah, absolutely. And Birgit's um, R60 slash 5, well, it's, 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 its name is Sir Henry the Hybrid because she made so many modifications to this bike. Um, it was just a mix. It was a real bitter. And when something went wrong with the bike – trying to get the, the right spare parts and things like that for it was it was quite a challenge. Um, and we ended up having spare parts sent to us that were completely the wrong thing for what she'd got on the bike then, but were the right thing for if, if the bike was completely bog standard. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, that's a real pain in the neck. Probably less so nowadays with, with the internet and the availability of taking a photograph of something and, and, and emailing that to someone. Yeah. yeah less, Getting the right cable. Yeah, the cables certainly that, that could be a problem. What about what I was saying though about um, about adjusting your bike for the for the style of trip and and your mechanical ability? Would you guys do that? Would you would you consider that? Okay, well, this trip that I'm going to do, it's mainly you know off the beaten track. It, it, it might be some rough riding. Would you, if you could, would you? Well, let's say if you're Brian Ricks, for instance, would you take a different bike? Would you open up the garage and say? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should take Thanks. that one as we for a while. Thank you. <laughs> oh, beautifully done, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Yeah, I, I rotate the fleet, and sometimes I get caught out in the wrong road. But um, yeah, look, if I was ta- if I was taking my GS, for example, I'd take it because I know the bike very well. But what I do is. I'll take the seat off the bike. And you look at where all the, the wires lay. Is there any pressure points that the wires could get bent? Is there anything that could come adrift? I, I rescued a mate the other day who has a, a round case uh, Ducati. And um, I'm working around the house and I get a phone call. Uh, can you hook up the trailer and come and pick us up? And the bike failed to proceed. And what it was was a connector under the seat had come adrift. That's all it was. Uh, you know, uh, that's where if you know your bike and you know its weak points, 
for example, on a, on a GS adventure, you know, or any GS bike, the left side um, uh, control module module for the um, uh, fuel injection, well, that's uh, a no-brainer, and it sits just above your left foot. So you should have uh, extra protection on it because if that fails, you're not going anywhere. So little things like that, know your bike very well. What do you mean? Do you it's a common that? part to fail? Uh, no, it's not. It's not, but it's, it, it can be exposed. If you came off and uh, your foot got caught in it and dragged it off the bike, oh, well, yes, that could be a real problem. But um, it's just a little bit exposed to, for mine. So mine's actually got a cover on it to protect it a little bit more. So we look, look for those sorts of things. The trick, I think, is to not get carried away with modifications. The trick yeah. is to do enough to make it suitable for the job. And when the bike comes out of the showroom floor, it's really suitable for proceeding down the highway nicely. But adventure riding, adventure motorcycle travel, overland travel, whatever you want to call it, you know, the bike's going to get dropped. It's going to run into some issues. Kids are going to pull at things. Um, you're going to kick it accidentally because you got on the wrong way. Or who knows? Um, you want to make sure that there is a reasonable amount of protection. But don't get too carried away, that's all. With every gadget you add is cost another day on the road is going to cost you on average and uh, it's also something else to go wrong and it adds weight so yeah, think carefully true. think carefully when you buy before you buy stuff well um hey look somebody's got to feed the cat for sure <laughs> George, I didn't realise how sensitive this microphone is. The cat's two rooms away. That's a, that's a really loud cat, Shirley. It is. Yeah. It's quite have you been sending it for vocal classes? Well, what kind of a cat owner are you to make your cat that hungry? I mean, that sounds hungry. She's starving him to death. <laughs> oh, God. Hang on, I'm just going to let him in. Oh, we, we got the cat you know, coming in. On, Oh, you've seen us at the window. <laughs> yeah, all right, mate. Okay, off you go. You're right now, guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> what were you going to say, Sam? Yeah, on the last show, um, one of the things that I said, uh, and you know, we, I'm sure we all go away from the show when we're recording it and we think about what we said afterwards and sometimes we're happy with what we said and sometimes we think, hmm, that didn't come out necessarily just as I wanted it to. And one of the things that I said, and I think it was the last show, was, um, we were talking about whether you need training before you head out on the road. And I was saying, well, basically, I think it's more important to get knowledge of the countries that you're going to rather than concentrating on motorcycle training skills. And I went away from that and I just thought, Sam, you're an idiot. Um, yes, of course, it's really important that you learn about the countries that you're going to because otherwise you don't have the knowledge to be able to travel there as safely as possible and to take as many advantages of the situations that you can find yourself in. So I'm talking culture and so on. But this business about not needing training, that was that was just stupid. If you've got the opportunity to get some training, then of course you should do it. Uh, one of the, Some of the reasons that I've fallen off my bike over the years is because I didn't have the training before I went out and did the journey. And the reason I'm bringing that subject up now uh, is when I set off on my big trip, I had minimal mechanical knowledge. Um, and I can see really well where Oscar's coming from. New bikes rarely go wrong from what I'm reading because the technology is so well thought out and so well made and so designed. And if you're taking a bike that's been around for a few years, then any glitches are going to be ironed out from it. And the chances are you're just going to be on a really happy, happy deal. And I noticed that um, Oscar's riding a bike from uh, 2016. So that technically should be the case. Going out with no knowledge about how the bike works and not even knowing how to take the wheels off, I think Oscar's having a wake-up call moment and thinking, actually, perhaps I was really lucky last time and perhaps I should be learning more about the, my motorcycle and how it works and, and what to do. And perhaps I should be paying attention to carrying a few of the spares for bits that do traditionally go wrong or there is a, a chance that I will be stopped in my tracks if it goes wrong. If I've got the part, then, you know, I can find somebody to help me and I can put it in. So I think Oscar's 
really right to be asking the question. And I do think he ought to learn how to, to do some of the basics on his bike, such as cables. And, and, and I think he should be carrying some spares. I carried stupid amount when I set off down to Africa. And I jokingly say I was carrying half a motorcycle with me. But actually, when I link about it, I probably wasn't that far off. I did have some tools. I had a manual and the spares were mostly electric components, seals, gaskets, cable, gear and brake lever, but also I was carrying weighty things such as a cylinder head cover and a, a clutch plate because people told me that I was going to need it. And my God, that bike was hard to pick up. And most I, I still had that clutch plate and that cylinder head cover eight years later because I hadn't needed them. <laughs> I carried them for all of that time. Yeah. I mean, other bits... You know, I had used quite a few of those things or I'd given them away to other people on the way who needed them. But the point is, it's a balance, isn't it? And I think if you're going to choose any bike, be it a more complicated modern bike or a more basic older bike, learn something about it. Learn the basics. I think that's so important too. I, I think that you know you should know how to do some basic stuff on your bike if you're going to ride in somewhere where you're you're out of um, your your comfort zone, I guess, and including taking the wheels off and be go to an HU meet or something and, and do you know watch one of Grant's mm. tire changing things or or get a video or something you know or or go to a, a local. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff put on where, where people put local mechanical workshops on to teach you about um, about things like that. I mean, a little of that same as like first aid or any sort of information information we get that goes a long way yeah we made a point of taking a first aid course before we left but that was that was information we should absolutely have you're in the middle of nowhere you fall off your bike one sure. of you is hurt one of you is not hey you know yeah you should uh, you should know the basics for sure yeah um and mechanicals yeah you've got to be able to do the basics i mean there's night school courses you can sign up for here in canada we've got the locals uh high schools run night school courses on ma motorcycle maintenance they're inexpensive. They're lots of fun. You learn stuff and you feel a lot more comfortable riding down the road knowing if something goes wrong, you've got the basic common stuff covered. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I uh, have a bit of a different attitude to Sam. I, I look at things and say, well, can I get repair that on the road? For example, an accelerator cable. Well, you can get cables anywhere and you can modify them to suit most things uh, with a little bit of uh, help from, say, a local mechanic. But things like an alternator belt, you can't get. Or things like an iridium uh, spark plug, you can't get. So little things like that you take. Um, uh, 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 levers, we can repair a lever or we can use, well, I've seen um, shifting, small shifting spanners used as a, a, as a, a gear lever. Brakes are overrated. You really don't need them if you, if you, if you break off your... Um, uh, your front brake reservoir, well, you can still ride on a back brake, can't you? I've actually done that. I've, I've actually had that happen where the front brake locked up on me on a trail bike. And uh, stupidly, I went out with a very small toolkit, but I was able to undo the, um, the bleed um, on the um, reservoir and just let it run out. And I just had a back brake. Well, I was able to get home, no problem. Yeah. But uh, things that you might need, like um, special uh, seals, but light stuff. You don't have to take heavy stuff. Mm. And you know, to, to repair a hole in an engine casing, well, you just take that um, that weld. Yeah, so lay the bike over, yeah. bang, use it. It's, it's, it's just to get you out of trouble. You can always get parts like that anywhere. No, I absolutely get what you mean. I mean, I, I, I was obviously coming across wrong then because I, mean, I was such a novice. I knew nothing. And so I'd listen to um, the experts and they'd all sort of given me this huge tick list of stuff that I had to take. And actually, a lot of the stuff that I really didn't need, um, there's a lot more information around now about the sorts of things that you should do for your bike. And Graham's a perfect example of thinking laterally. He broke his lever, didn't you, Graham? And what did you use um, to, to fix it as a, as a temporary repair to keep it going? Um, perfect. Yeah, yeah, just some vice grips. That wasn't actually my idea. Someone came up with that on, uh, on the Facebook post. I <laughs> yeah, can't well, take, but, can't but take credit for that. Okay, I mean, but, it's, it's that lateral thinking, isn't it? Yeah, but, there, I mean, is, not... there is definitely a need for some ingenuity and thinking outside the box. You know, you don't necessarily need the part number. You can improvise. 
but going back to what we were saying earlier, at least learn how to take your front and rear wheel out because yeah. it can save you so much money. Because if you are Oscar in the middle of nowhere um, and you can't at least get the wheel off, then you can hitchhike with a truck to get that puncture repaired as opposed to trying to get the bike moved. That is going to save you a huge amount of time and money and effort if you could at least do that much. Um, and, and, and adjust the chain on your GS, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I found myself wondering how long Oscar was actually heading out on, on the trip for, because the first trip he did, um, yeah, two months. Love a lot of ground in two months. Um, if he's going on a longer trip, then he's going to need to start learning about things like oil changes and those sorts of things. Um, yeah. But if it's, again, it's a relatively short um, journey, then he doesn't have to worry about those sorts of things. And I'm really uncomfortable with letting local shops do uh, oil changes on my bike, too. I've seen mm. too many stories of strip drain plugs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, I'd rather do that myself. Thank you very much. And also, I think it's about a two-month trip Oscar's going on. Thanks for the link to your blog, by the way, Oscar. It's very useful. But if you're doing a two-month trip, if you do want to do an oil change, you don't necessarily have to do the filter. So all you've really got to learn how to do is to take out the drain plug and put it back in with a new compression washer and, and have to put oil in as well. But um, So, again, a very minimal thing. You don't even have to worry about filters in that case. Yeah, mind you, the filter on a GS is really easy to do anyway. Just to spin on. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. That was wonderful. Thank you very much, everyone. Yeah, good fun. Thanks, Jim. No worries, mate. Cheers. Okay. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of audiobooks and written books that chronicle his journeys. Uh, he also has uh, t-shirts and other things that he sells at his website at grahamfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date traveling information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. <laughs>